You're listening to the Stellar Life Project podcast, the podcast for modern leaders who are tired of hustle culture and ready to invite more ease into their lives. I'm your host, Deborah Stellingworth. I'm a master teacher and coach, and I'm obsessed with helping you avoid burnout, create a sustainable lifestyle, and still enjoy optimal success on your terms in your career or business. You'll hear inspiring stories of possibility from my guests, and you'll get empowering strategies from me to support you in creating and living your own stellar life. Hello, and welcome back to the Stellar Life Project podcast. Today's guest I invited on because she is a beautiful example of possibility of taking your passion and your gifts and turning them into a way to make an impact in the world while also making income for yourself because we all have to eat and pay for housing and shelter. And so she has done that. This conversation is really intense and really meaningful because the work she's doing in the world is trailblazing. She is forging a path where many of us, especially as we are both privileged white women, have never gone before as she does work in this space of diversity and inclusion, specifically in truth and reconciliation in the indigenous populations and culture of Canada. So it's an intense conversation that's well worth listening to, well worth having. And I am so pleased to introduce you to my friend Jen Newstead so you can learn about her and the work that she's doing in the world. Today's guest is someone very special. You know that I invite people on the show who are examples of possibility, who inspire me with the impact they're making on the world, because I want you to see and learn what is possible from other people who've blazed some trails and forged some paths. And today's guest is someone who has done that. Uh, We've had conversations before. The first time I met her, we were talking about what she's doing in the world. And I was like, that is so cool that you made that up and turned that into the work you do in a world, the world that you get to call it a job. And so I'm really excited for you to meet Jen Newstead, who is a self-described settler of mixed European descent. She's a straight gendered woman who uses the pronouns she, her. She built the foundation of her project management and marketing communication skills in advertising. Now in nonprofit, both as an employee and an active volunteer, she continues to develop her human skill set, navigating the hierarchy of corporate Canada in telecommunications and healthcare, taught Jen how to play the game and is what drives her to disrupt the status quo. And this is the part that I was super interested in you hearing about was how she is supporting organizations and individuals in disrupting the status quo. She is a ripple maker. She collaborates with entrepreneurs and organizations to lead and advocate purpose-driven projects. Her approach is always focused on connecting to the foundational why in order to deliver intentional human-centered outcomes with impact. And now all of that sounds really amazing, and you haven't even heard the good stuff yet, which we will let Jen herself tell us. Jen, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Deb. That was amazing to hear all those wonderful things. I'm jazzed to to be here and, and chat with you about it. Excellent. Well, let's start with you telling us the story, because I think your story is fascinating because you didn't take a traditional route, right? And so tell us where it all began mm. and then how you ended up where you are. And, and maybe help people see where you are, because I think I, I've said it here, but where are you at right now? What would you say you're doing in the world right now? And then how did you get there? What I am doing right now is taking all of my career lived experience, all of the negative, toxic experiences that you have when you're an employee on the journey of the expected participation of being in the assembly line of corporations, and I disrupt that. And I work with organizations who are willing to do things differently. So make that real for us. When you say you disrupt the assembly line. 
Give us an example of what you mean. Mm, so from my experience, I've worked in marketing and advertising, both agency side as well as client side. And so I've been in flat organizations and I've been in very hierarchical organizations. And, you know, when you get into those hierarchical environments, the energy, it really has nothing to do with your job. It's about playing the game. And every place is different. And, you know, you're navigating leaders that are, have, have no skills in being people leaders. You know, we know how promotions work. We get promotions in lieu of money. And so you're navigating insecurities of these people. And, you know, how do, you, how do you, I get visibility to do this great work that I was brought on to do when it's, you know, the work is, is way over here and, and we're, we're playing silly games of is my boss feeling okay about themselves today. <laughs> mm, right. So to clarify for people who maybe not have heard those terms before, a flat organization versus hierarchical. So flat being um, that the leadership, if uh, I wanted to go and speak to the founders, the C-suite, whomever had created that organization, I could. No problem. Corporate hierarchical, you kind of get put into a bucket, if you will, or, you know, a letter is usually provided to you. So if you are a manager, as example, and you reach out to a director who's above you, there's directors out there that will not respond to you because you are below them. And so it goes on and on and on from there. So very status based. Yeah. You wouldn't have access to the C-suite, the CFO, the CEO, because you're just a lowly manager. Mm -hmm. Which is challenging if you're a woman and trying to navigate the career, but also if you you're someone of indigenous or a person of color. Just a side note for everyone, a great example of a flat organization is Zappos. Their CEOs, their founders are have a desk in the middle of a bullpen type office like everybody else. You can tour their facilities in Vegas and they have, there's a book and there's lots of studies and research around what they do. It's a really remarkable. So if you're wanting to create something like that, that's a great case study. I love that. Yeah, it's, you know, it just removes barriers because it allows space for this idea that everyone's ideas and voices and perspectives matter. You know, again, there's there's a lot of um, energy towards, you know, when I think about the work that I do now, everyone's involved. Everyone has to do this work, you know, and there's this odd thing that happens where it's like once you get to a certain level in your career, whether it's a title of some capacity, it's like, you know, you kind of wipe your hands of it. It's like, oh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, no. Uh, like, I'm an executive leader. I don't have to do that work. So it's truly the more we can remove these barriers and have actual connection intentionally with various groups and disciplines across the business, the richer the work is. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I think when you get to a certain level and you kind of we can get stagnant. The most growth-oriented person can actually slip unconsciously into a fixed mindset because they're just so focused on the goal that they stop learning anything other than what gets them to the goal. And when we have those people in leadership, I guess that can become really challenging because then things sort of fossilize, right? For sure. Yeah. And I think also what's happening there is every single person is playing the game. And you very quickly realize how much room you have to move your piece, if you will, in the game. And sometimes it becomes exhausting because you're very aware, well, nothing's going to change. So then you turn into, well, how long do I want to be here for? And we also have to acknowledge the financial compensation piece that, you know, we're driven to, you know, be told you need to be an employee. You need to have compensation. And so I can't tell you how many times I've, I've worked at two national corporate Canada organizations. And every time I, it's a joke to count down to bonus time because you're like, it's so terrible here. I've just received my bonus payout and I'm already counting down to when the next bonus payout comes because it's like, you know, nothing's going to change. Acknowledging that change is achievable and it is hard work. It requires everyone to participate in it. And that's part of the problem, right? So I think that's also happening too, where it's just, we get complacent and then we are sort of stuck in this like fear of the risk of stepping away from our compensation package whatever that might look like for us, because it's like, well, I wouldn't get paid this much elsewhere. Right. You know, well, and therein lies the tension, right? Between our personal 
needs and desires and our social responsibilities to participate in the disruption of the status quo. And my previous guest, she was talking about the wage gap for women and even the opportunity gap for women, right? In And women of color even more so. And But we have our personal interests that conflict with those. And so when you're in an organization, and I think we need to clarify a little bit for people who are just meeting you too, is that what it is, like, so make this really real for us, if you can, if you can do that without disclosing client confidentiality. But you're working with some some organizations now. What does that look like? You go into an organization. What are they? What do they want you to do? So essentially, I'm available to come in for any period of time. Um, my preference is that you are an organization where you have maybe done an analysis of where you're at, and you're like, okay. We are really wanting to do things differently. So I work with an organization right now. They are a certified Indigenous tech company, and they are working to understand uh, what people first means to them. And so they brought me on um, as an opportunity to help them move through a particular certification process that the Canadian Council of Aboriginal Businesses offers. It's called the PAR program. It's uh, Progressive Aboriginal Relations. It's a three-year certification program. And it has four drivers in the program, so employment, business development, community, and leadership actions. And so there are guides each year that we work together as a work group to understand how are we going to look at your existing processes across all of your business to really implement ways for you to become people first and really understand, like, what do you mean when you say that you want to be more inclusive and more diverse Mm -hmm. in your culture, in your hiring practices, in the work you do? Wow. Okay, that's really, <laughs> this is why I wanted her here, you guys. This is like really important work. And and the thing is like, Jen, you didn't at five years old, five years old saying, I'm going to be doing this work in the world when I'm a grown up. Oh. And it's just so fascinating. And we're going to get back to your zone of genius in a minute and what you bring to that. But there's two terms that I heard there. One is like certified indigenous tech company. Mm-hmm. How does one get to be that? I mean, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't mean that the founders are indigenous. Like yes. what? Okay. And then who certifies them? Is that is that a government of Canada thing? It's through the Canadian Council of Aboriginal Business. Okay. And a lot of us don't even know that exists, right? I mean, white cis woman, right? Like I have no idea the lot that's going on. And this is part of the re- reason that I wanted to have you on the show because we can't participate in change that we don't know is even available. And so- this is why I wanted you here. And the other thing was the other term that I caught was like people first. Mm. And now this is something that we're hearing. This is like a flat institution or organization with a flat leadership model is really about being people first. Erica Kesswin has her book out, Bring Your Human to Work. There's a lot of conversation about that people first. So for you, when you're working with this organization, because you're asking them the question, what does people first look like for them? But I'm wondering what it looks like for you. Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know if I've even considered it. So thank you for challenging me to explore that. Yeah, I think if I had to consider it, it would be knowing that wherever I was working, there would be opportunity for visibility, for my voice to be heard, for my ideas to be shared, as well as opportunity for me to work with a wide variety of disciplines across the organization, regardless of their status, of their title, of their presence, I guess. And just, yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I was just having this conversation about part of people first, I think this concept of the four day work week. And so I think about that, like who wouldn't want that? And so then I go, okay, right. So we have salaries there for five days a week. So is the four day a week, are we taking the salary deduction? Is that part of it or is it four days a week, but at the same salary, you know, and these are the things that I think it's like, People first isn't just about like, what do the people want? Let's give them everything, right? Because it's really tricky to do that. We still have to figure out like, we're not each wanting the same things. I remember once at a town hall at one of the organizations I worked with, there was some concern about the benefits package. And it was kind of put back on the employee group of, well, you need to talk amongst yourselves because what you would want, Deb, in your benefits package I may not want those same things. And so again, what that is an example of is really, really hard to blanket a group of any people 
And the reality is, in our conditioned status quo approach to doing things, it's usually a blanketed approach. Mm -hmm. And so people first, I think, is really about being a bit more fluid and flexible and having some options and acknowledging it might require an individual conversation with a whole bunch of folks and just being really transparent about how we're doing things. And we're not very transparent when it comes to things like I don't know what your career history is, but if you've ever had a conversation around salary, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. No. Well, I was a, remember I was a teacher for 15 years. So actually my salary was really negotiated very publicly. Right. Okay. Um, but we also did feel that it wasn't okay to talk about it because there was a lot of public pushback whenever teachers were asking for more money. And one thing I can say is that as a teacher, when I, st I started teaching, I graduated from SFU PDP in 1997, started teaching, and my salary was below the national poverty level. I had student loans to pay, and the bank said, you don't have to pay these because your salary isn't enough for you to actually pay them. And so eventually I did have to pay them. And I was really fortunate. I got really great grades and I finished in a certain amount of time. So I actually had a big portion, like $25,000 of my student loan was forgiven oh. because of my, my grades and stuff. Um, but I still had a significant student loan to pay back, like $30,000. And I was getting a salary below the poverty level. And so it was very emotional, very personal when I'm like, we're asking for money and the um, you know, for a raise for teachers and the public is like, what? They don't deserve it. So yeah, it was very public and very emotional and very, very challenging for teachers. And I think it's still the same. I think teachers are still underpaid. Hmm. I think lots of people are underpaid. Yes. And I think something I want to just tag on to there that you shared about that I think we should highlight is education is a privilege and it is not accessible for so many folks. And so when we're hiring and education is a requirement, your candidate pool just got really, really little, you know, and as you've already acknowledged, you're a white cis female and so am I. And so we both hold privilege because we had that opportunity. And it's interesting because I have a high school diploma. That is my education. And I have had my name on the door of an office, you know, and so that was never a barrier for me. So that's an acknowledgement of the privilege that I've held. And do you think, I mean, that also has to do with your age, not that you're old, but I mean, you know, we are, we're down the path of life we're aging a right now. We are down the path of life a ways, right? Sure. Not, you and yeah. I are not millennials. And so there was a time where that could happen. And I think you're right. It's less and less now. My husband works in a profession where he's got his degree like minus one course or something, right? And so he would have to have this other education in order to be a leader now, even though he's got like you know, 25 years experience in the profession. Yeah. So maybe one of the better people to be the leader, right? So yeah, definitely. That's a good way of thinking about it. I want to go back before I forget to when I asked you what you think people first looks like and the, what, the description you gave us. So people rewind and listen to it again was, I think, the best description of diversity and inclusion that I've ever heard. <laughs> Right. Being able to access people, being able to be seen, being able to feel like your voice matters. And so just wanted to highlight that for a moment before we move on. Yeah, I, just to sorry, what I was thinking about is just when it comes to education, when you were sharing about your husband's journey. So mm. I have a high school diploma. I've worked in, you know, numerous organizations, advertising, marketing. Um, I left advertising to go into the nonprofit. I've been a volunteer. I've worked in healthcare. Every time I work in a different environment, I'm adding to my skill set. Yeah. Right. I bring so much perspective to the table because I've worked with more vulnerable folks as a volunteer, you know, and so you're bringing that wisdom forward. And education offers a certain aspect of that, but just appreciating, like we really have to break down these default uh, approaches that we have to the copy and paste job posting that I would consider. Absolutely. And I, I'm actually working with someone right now as a coach, who's a coaching client of mine, who's looking for her next career move mm -hmm. where she's going to land. And one of the things we're working on is that she's looking at these postings going, well, I hate that. I hate that. I don't want that. It's like, you can just call them and say, I don't like that, but I can do this for you. But you know, that's something I'm trying to help her get her head around. It's like, you don't have to just fall into line mm -hmm. and we can create our lives. Like we can negotiate. Everything's negotiable. Totally. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur to have control over where your career goes. No. And I love what you said about the lived experience because it's so valuable. I want people to remember that it hasn't actually been that long 
that the masses who aren't like the upper class, the ruling elite class with all the wealth, it hasn't been that long that, that post-secondary education has been available to people. Like I come from a family, I was the first one in my family to graduate from university. And so now my daughter's gone to university, there's, and lots of cousins and everything, but it's not that this has been going on forever and ever. It's been, there was this inflation of education because even when, you know, I graduated in 1984 and in 1984, I didn't have to go to university. I actually went to university about eight years later. And it was like a thing I could do, but it wasn't necessary. Whereas by the time, you know, 20 years later, whatever it was, well, more than 20 years, my daughter was graduating from high school in 2007. I'm like, you're going to university. There's no option here, right? Until you have another plan, right? Like if you had another plan, I'm okay with that. But if you don't have another plan, off you go. And so that's a fairly new concept, this expectation that we have to have an education at a post-secondary level. And as a former teacher, I got to say, I think education is super important. I'm no longer on the bandwagon that post-secondary is the only way because there's so much lived experience and so many things that you can learn outside of school that are actually more valuable than theoretical content. And I look to Elon Musk who hired a self-taught, I don't know, it was an engineer. It was a guy who did the eye for his space thing. He was like self-taught. The kid just didn't want to go to any of the universities. He didn't want to learn that way. And he's self-taught and he's now responsible. He's got this, this young guy's got this project. And I don't know if I had this information accurately, because so I should probably look it up because I keep telling this story. He's now responsible for that. You know, they've seen those advertisements about like connecting everybody to like connecting everybody on the planet, right? With technology and so that they can tune in. So, because we need more magicians' daughters. No, they don't need access to all our North American stuff, but we need to learn from them. And this is where that young man who, I don't know how young he is anymore, but who was self-taught and somebody gave him a chance on a really major project, right? I mean, Elon Musk, say what you will about him, like love him or hate him, he's a disruptor. I think that was a really great example of what we can do. And so if you're listening and you don't have the degree and you think, oh, you know, there's these barriers, there's always a way. You can make something up. Because that's one thing I love about what you've done, Jen, is you've kind of, you know, made up this role for yourself. <laughs> right? I yeah. Mean, and, and okay, let's tell everybody the secret. We're all just making it up as we go along. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's true. What mm -hmm. is that saying? Fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the behavior we're supposed to believe. But, yeah. But yeah. And I like to reframe this. Like we're not faking it. We're forging it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Wonderful. So back to your the organization you're working with and you're helping them with you're just working with one organization right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find that that that's filling up all of your time? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. The work is really challenging. Mm -hmm. It requires a lot of energy and re resetting. And, you know, when you want to do work differently, you have to remind yourself to leave your conditioned behaviors at home. You have to constantly be checking in. You have to be constantly reconnecting to the why. Why are we doing this? Because it's really, really easy to be distracted to, you know, everything's happening at the same time. Business still has to go. There's a pandemic. The, the world is topsy-turvy daily, you know, and so you really have to be so intentional with your attention to the work. I think what's key about that is that during the pandemic, of course, we had the Black Lives Matter. We've had the discovery of those bodies at the residential schools, which raised the indigenous rights issues and restoration, the need for it in, in a way that was much more in our face for those of us who could carry on with our privileged lives and ignore it. We've really been waking up. And it's also really easy just to fall back asleep again and, not, and notice that our, our friends and neighbors and, and fellow humans are not getting the same rights and, and privileges that, that the, someone, the people who look like us do, right? So it leads me to my question is like, it's so curious. And do you ever get pushback as a non, you're not an indigenous woman and you're doing this work? And so I guess there's a two-part question. What is that biggest challenge for you in it? And how do you handle the pushback? I wouldn't even call it a challenge. It's about being intentional every single day. Every single day you can take action. It's a choice not to. Truth and Reconciliation, the final report, it's been sitting on a shelf collecting dust. And I guess I've just gotten to a point where it's like, I, ha I have the ability to make change and I have the ability to influence change. That's part of my privilege and I'm going to use that. And I 
am very intentional as I walk on this journey. I am in this work and I am also learning in this work. And I will make mistakes and I will get back up and I will continue to move forward. And there's no stopping because it is a privilege to post a colored tile in your feed for a moment to make it look like you're doing something, but it's all just a performance. And that's truly what drives me in this work because it's like, this work is hard. We have to completely dismantle the systems that we've all participated in in order to create change. That's hard. And so it does require us to really think about that. You can't just do one little piece over here. It's important. We all know how difficult it is when we want to change a personal habit. Mm -hmm. So if you're a smoker and you want to quit smoking or you want to lose weight and how difficult it is to change habits there when they're really personal. And so, of course, it's so challenging to change these societal habits that we have. And I just that's why, again, I wanted you on the show because I really admire your commitment to being in the work. And I just want to draw attention to what you said about I'll make mistakes and then I'll get up and I'll go forward. And I think there's such an aversion to being wrong that we often resist doing the work. Doing the work in this case means risking being wrong. And we have such a hang up about being wrong. I mean, that's a, that's a cultural habit and a social habit that if anybody's wrong, we're all over them. This whole cancel culture does not allow for wrongness. And wrongness is like, for me, it's just like, you're just trying. I think in general, all of this work is about decentering yourself. So you have to get out of your own way. I've spoken with lots of marginalized folks, and I, I hear a lot about crocodile tears from white women, which makes me rage because I'm like, you know, do the work. It, like it, it just keeps coming back to that, you know, and it's looking at yourself and moving through all of the stages, fragility, shame, guilt, you know, and it's, it, we're just at this point where it's like, well, they meant well. And it's like, okay, well, that's not good enough. You know, that's turned into this scapegoat. And so you really, you have to decenter yourself and you have to be willing to get vulnerable and be in your integrity. And maybe this is where you have to figure out what your integrity is. It's really kind of like connecting with your own self. Yeah. That decentering of self is so vital to the collective good in, in anything, whatever it is, because if you're decentered, you're, you're more capable of empathy for yourself and for others when you do the decentering. I mean, I know where you're coming from. It's like, do the work. We're all at different stages on the journey. And I know you're not saying that we should all just be at the same place. It's just feelings run high on this because there is the guilt, the shame. And okay, so this is coming to mind. I'm going to say it out loud. Coming from my own experience and, I, and something you just said that made me think about it. There's something in the teaching of privileged white women of how we're supposed to be nice that may be playing out in what you described as the crocodile tears and the apology. And, and that's the thought that's forming for me. And I'm wondering, see, this is why it's so complex, right? Because like they're trying to be nice and say they're sorry and they're crying and you know, they're really feeling it. And, really, and it's probably really genuine. And it's part of their conditioning. Anyways, that just came, that's a thought that just came awesome. into the world. I want to acknowledge you for sharing that. And, and this is what I have to respond with. If the action is to be nice, I don't think the learning is taking place. And learning happens in reading and listening to podcasts. It also happens in the spaces and places you have access to. You know, where do you volunteer? Is your board of directors all white? Or like, who, who do you spend time with? You need to be creative in ways that you're learning. And again, like the, the learning isn't to be nice. Because if you don't know that, just in general, be a good human. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's a difference, I think, between, and I, I hear you and I agree with you, because there's a difference between I want to be nice as in programming versus an intentional decision to get involved in volunteering and connecting and doing the work. So I think that the, the be nice, what I was getting at, is the programming. Because we are so conditioned as women in our Western culture to be ashamed of ourselves. Right. And that's what I think is playing out sometimes there. And so women tend to be more demonstrative with that shame 
And then it comes across as insincere and, and self-serving, right? So again, it's complicated. It is, but this is why it's about like decentering yourself yeah. and reconnecting with yourself and just mm-hmm, exactly. have a legacy, yeah. a living legacy of and a when you're gone. Yeah. And I'm not making an excuse for them. I'm just or for myself even. I'm just saying it's just I'm looking at like, oh, how's the how's that pattern coming out? How's it how's this playing out? And so yes, when you're falling into this pattern of being nice and and making it about you and how you're feeling, then you're falling into that pattern. And it's time to decenter yourself and get out of the niceness of it because it's not nice. Actually, yeah. nice people well, are not, just being nice are usually not very nice. They're usually quite selfish. Yeah. Well, it falls into that. But I had a good intention. You know, I yeah. meant well, yep. but I just, you know, I'm missing the mark. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that's where we own our mistakes, right? Like, okay, I meant well. I missed it. I own that. As opposed to, well, I meant well. Oh, then poor me. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. there's the distinction. Own it. Learn from it. Adjust mm-hmm. and keep going. Yeah. Right? Again, it's actions are louder than words. And, I, and that's where I think we're missing the action. Yeah. And this is relevant in interpersonal relationships as well as this larger social context right? As, as owning it, recognizing, oops, okay. Yep. That's me. I screwed up. Facing our own selfishness and our own self-centeredness and choosing to flip the switch, turn the lens around and look at the other person with empathy. And that's the practice. For me, that's the practice is, is learning to view everyone, the glasses of empathy. For sure. Yeah. Right? We, so. we don't know what we don't know. So if it hasn't happened to me, how could it possibly, you know, be true if this person is telling me? And so you have to decide, do you believe them? And you apply that to every possible scenario, right? Yeah. John Gottman is a relationship expert. So I'm, I'm doing some research right now around the relationship stuff. And because it's, it's a component of the Stellar Life Project and I do a lot of coaching. I, in my coaching, I money, relationships, business, like it's the whole life. And I'm reading this work by John Gottman and he has um, an acronym that's attune, be aware, turn toward, tolerate that there are other perspectives, understand, which Stephen Covey says to seek to understand first before you are understood. So understand, N, non-defensive response, and E, empathy. And I'm just, I'm really, really loving that because I think it applies in partner relationships, parent-child relationships, larger social context relationships, if we all just follow that model, it's like, okay, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to attune myself to the world and to other people. What a difference we could make. Right? No, yeah. I, I love that. It, yeah. it makes me think about how I'm really working through that it's not this or that. It's not right or wrong. There's perspective. It's about being curious and it's about learning how to actively listen. So many of these tools and skills, we we just we didn't focus on them. You know, if you think about curriculum as we were growing up, like so, and it just, it is about just disrupting our own behaviors, right? And thinking about like when we're having conversations and even this one, and it's like, what's happening with our energy and our body, you know, like, why am I starting to like feel defensive and just really making sure that we're pausing, allowing emotions to happen, but just like not being driven by emotions. I was having a conversation last night with a good friend of mine who we used to have our classrooms beside each other. We both left the education system and work in other areas now. And she was pointing towards the IB PYP program. And it's the International Baccalaureate program is I taught IB English literature and theory of knowledge. It's a high level high school program that's international that kids, if they do well at it, can get first year university credit for it. So it's you know, pretty advanced. It's like, again, it's one of those elite programs. It was designed for kids of diplomats and army brats so that if they traveled, standardized education and get some credit. And it was a fun program. I'm glad I got to teach it. And I look back on it going, mm, it's probably not serving the world. However, because it's, it's really promoting hustle culture, they just pile on the work. And a lot of good things come out of it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good learning comes out of the whole process. But the PYP, the, the primary years program is really all about teaching kids to be empathetic, to see other perspectives, really attuning them to the world. And my friend was saying, wouldn't it be amazing? Like, because she's, she's got a friend who's got some kids in the program right now. And she, the story she's hearing, she's, she was an examiner, a site visitor for those kind of programs. And 
She said it would just be what a different world we would live in if all children went through that type of education. Now, unfortunately, that's just not the world we live in, right? And but it so, could be. But it could be. And this is why we are here. We talk about possibility. It's not yet, but it's happening in little corners, right? And this is like we can say, well, that's not the world we live in, or we can say, yes, it could be. And the fact that it exists, that it's possible, we can do more of that. Unfortunately, our education system, as somebody who came through it, I'm pro-education all the way, but there are limits to what can be done because it's like we have an institutional habit of being a certain way. And in some respects, teachers' hands are tied and teachers are all, can only do as much as they've done themselves because they've got, they're also products of the system. And so when we say, oh, we should be teaching this in school, I'm like, yep, we should be. And I guess in some, and I want to honor the teachers who I think are doing it. I think there are a lot of teachers who are, who are trying to do this work. And I know from my former colleagues and my sister and brother-in-law and my other, and my sister, they're all in the school system still. They're doing the work. It's happening. Despite in their the ins- individual roles. In you their can individual roles, right? Disrupt but, and influence yeah. as best you can. Yeah. Right? It's, it's up to that individual to use their voice to mm-hmm. determine how far they're willing to. And if you take nothing else from this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, other than that you can do your part to change the world. You can disrupt with decentering yourself, making a decision to get informed, to understand, to volunteer. And you know what? Volunteering isn't for everybody, but there's other ways to be an ally, to be support, Mm -hmm. right? And it comes from what I'm hearing you say, an intentional decision to do the work. Yeah. Prioritize it Mm -hmm. every day, Mm -hmm. every day. If we just wait for other people to do it for us, that needs to get unpacked, right? There's no reason why. So interesting. You know what came to mind when you said that? Like, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but the, I remember when Trudeau Sr. introduced the Multiculturalism Act. And it was this thing that came into our schools that suddenly we're multicultural and we stopped saying the Lord's Prayer before school. And we didn't really understand what they were talking about, but suddenly we're multicultural and we were having these conversations about culture. And I think that was one of those examples of it being done for us. Mm-hmm. And do, you, do you think that had an impact? We were talking about multicultural. It was the very European culture though. What I would say with things like that, because we know the default behavior is to, okay, we'll, we'll you know, apply a program, we'll have an initiative, but white folks will be the ones that come up with the idea. So imagine marginalized voices had been invited to the table. And that's, again, where that's, we try to solve all these um, challenges for folks who are living the challenge, but we don't invite them to help create the solution. Which is what you're participating in now, right? As Mm -hmm. is to engage with in order to create solution that I think is going to be an example of how it can be done rather than waiting for somebody else to come in and say, here's a program. And that's what I love about the work you're doing is that you are forging it. You're working with the marginalized people who, it's so interesting because the way, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm just, I'm saying this like, we're talking about decentering white people, but it's not about centering anybody else. It's about making it a collective, right? And bringing people together in a collective. Yeah, it's about making space for all perspectives. You know, we are, there's so many areas that we don't even cover. Accessibility, able-bodied, you know, we default to a certain ideal and we need to disrupt that. And in my career, I've had numerous conversations with folks where it's like, oh, well, they're, they're so young. Most of the phenomenal learning I've had in my life has come from people younger than me. They see the world differently. They're listening to, they're listening to people like you who are saying, we can do this differently, right? Which is, they're hearing it with fresh ears as opposed to say someone who's older going, oh, what's the problem? They should get over it. I remember being on an airplane, having a conversation with a guy, a businessman. I, I happened to be in first class. I don't, I got bumped up somehow and having this conversation with this man. And he was like, oh, well, you know, it's over. They lost the war. We should, they should just get over it. I'm like, you have no idea what has gone on in this world? And and I imagine if he's still alive, because this was a while ago and he was old, I hope that that perspective would shift with the information that's been brought forward. But I don't know. Yeah, that makes me think of, I live in Mount Pleasant. I walked here. There is a construction fence, of course, because it's Vancouver. And in red spray paint on one side, it says, Canada is built on genocide. And beside it, in black spray paint, it says, just get over it. 
So I took a photo of that and I posted and I said, truth before reconciliation. These are two truths of Canada. Oh, that breaks my heart. What will you do yeah. about it? Yeah. Right? That's, mm-hmm. And that's where when you mm-hmm. have that moment yeah. and you feel that emotion, mm-hmm. then you the next stage is to be like, what can I do what about can I this? Do about this? And there's a million resources available at your fingertips okay. on Google. Which is perfect because that was my next question. So when we have those moments, what can we do about it? Yeah. So, I, you know, if you haven't read the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's document, you should start there. You could read the 231 calls for justice from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls National Inquiry final report. There's so many places that you can start and it's it's going to be difficult but create space for it be in your integrity and your intentionality to do the work so that you can move beyond my heart is is broken yeah and i'm going to be i'm going to be completely transparent like it feels really uncomfortable to think about reading those documents mm. because what a privilege to only I have know, to read right? them i know right yeah. And so I wanted to I wanted to address that because I think that's probably I'm not the only one who's feeling that because I don't even watch scary shows. So I don't like it when it's fiction and it's scary. Like if there's a war movie or something or something bad is happening in a show, I mean, I'm like, turn it off because I don't even like it in fiction. So it's super, super uncomfortable to go look at that in reality. Yeah. But what a privilege that we can look at it from not just arm's length, even just like really far distant from from that experience. And so I think that's an important perspective shift that sounds like a good place to start. Yeah. And then is there other places that, um, you know, some people aren't readers. So where else could they get involved? Yeah. I mean, podcasts. Um, there's a, there, we live in a, everything is virtual. There are so many events. Future of Good, was, which is a phenomenal organization. Um, they just did a Black Leaders in Social Summit for the last two days. Like, you, there's no end to places where you could be finding all kinds of voices in leadership to be listening to, you know, and just like diversify your social media feeds with intentionality, you know, pick up a book from an author that's not from where you're from, you know, just like have a conversation. I've had numerous conversations with my parents about privilege and that started very uncomfortably and it's and we're getting there you know and it's important to to sit in the discomfort Mm -hmm. get uncomfortable yeah because one thing I know from women of color I've spoken to one person in particular told me that she spent a lot of her childhood making sure the white people weren't uncomfortable it's our turn and there are lots of resources there's one of my favorites on my social media feed is called check your privilege Mm. and um, she I don't remember her name right now but she posts some really good stuff that makes you really you know thoughtful and there's another woman who's oh shoot I'm so terrible you guys all know this that I always forget titles of books or I either forget the title or forget the name of the author I can picture her face in my mind right now the title's gone. She's on my feed. But I would agree with you. That's diversify your your feed. Be aware of what's going on. Don't let just let your heart break like you're watching some kind of story. It's real. These are real lives. And um, and and ask how you can help. And if you have friends, if you don't have friends that are different colors than you, maybe that's a good place to start too. Yeah. And have conversations. And they're uncomfortable conversations. I've had them. And right of asking like, how is that for you? And, and interestingly, that sometimes we might see something that they don't even see themselves, right? In terms of there's discrimination mm-hmm. that they may not even see themselves. I'm like, because I've had to ask a friend, are you sure? That, like, what is this? Right. And you right? would want to call that out as a, yeah. like to the, you know, there's also active bystander training. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many resources mm-hmm. and we've got to step into action and be calling it out to the systems, to the people, and protecting those that this is their default. This is every day for them. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a video last week of two teenagers fighting. The white kid was the aggressor. The police came in and tackled the black kid. And the question was, what did the allies do? Because there was a lot of kids there taking video and didn't nobody stepped up to the police and said, hey, it wasn't him. It was the other guy. Like at least that we saw. Right. But I think that's a really those things like it's so easy to watch that and go, oh, that really sucks. What would I do? I think it's important to ask, what would I do in that situation? But it also then leads to as an individual or an organization, if you're posting about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and it's more than a post. 
And that's where we're in the performance of it, right? So it's like, if you were going to do this work, do it, right? Like be at the front line, use your voice, even if you're fearful of losing your job, right? Because that's where it comes back down to, right? It's like, I'm going to be impacted by this. This is such a rich conversation that we started with talking about what you were doing. This is, I mean, this is, this is a great example. This is the work you're doing and you're leading the way you're being an example. And we started, I mean, you created this position for yourself. You know, I mean, again, we never imagined you're five years old. I'm going to go do this work in the world, but you've really stepped into this calling. You're using your gifts and things that you, you had from learned experience. I want people to understand that. I mean, yes, there's training you can do. There's lots of things you can do. And you can pull it together and whatever it is your calling is to do the work in the world that is your calling, opportunities present themselves for you to do that work when you're willing to step into your zone of genius, which clearly you have done. You have such a passion for this work and such a gift for it. And I think that we didn't get there, but I think that you're, you have such a gift of empathy for the people you work with, for the people that you share with. I've learned, I learned so much every time I speak with you because I'm a baby in this work. And this is why I wanted you on the show. There's so many people that I know who are listening even who it's new. It's still new for a lot of people. And so here's a place to start. Here's a place to think, some things to think about, some things that you can read and, and you can do in your life to just open your eyes so you can be more empathetic and even take some action and be an ally, vote, do whatever it is you can do. Let spirit move you. Every morning, ask yourself, what action will I take today? Start there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So (laughs) again, we could talk all day about this because I think this is an ongoing, this is (laughs) Mm -hmm. a thing that we've, you know, it's such an important, important topic. I want to turn our attention to you for a minute and something a little bit, it's a little bit lighter, maybe a little more frivolous, and it's you were still human beings. So you're a human too. And so what do you do to take care of yourself in this work? Because it, it can be really heavy. And I can see that for some people, it's just like, it's so heavy and so uncomfortable that they would turn away. So what do you do for self-care to manage your mental health through the work that you're doing and your wellness? Yeah. Fresh air and movement every day. And that can be a walk, a bike ride, but every day. I recently started taking a ceramics class, uh, which is phenomenal. And um, I also have last year, the biggest lesson I learned was boundaries. And so I am learning how to action boundaries and practice that. And also, I just I am creating space for all emotions. I'm not hiding them. I'm not pushing them away. If they're coming up, why are they coming up? A lot of journaling and just appreciating that. I am doing really the most impactful work I've ever done on my career journey. And it feels phenomenal, even on the days where it's just like change can't happen, but something will come up. And yeah, I'm really grateful to be able to have opportunity to be flexible in this work so that if I need to step away and go outside, I can and just reset and then step back in. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. And I love the way you frame the actioning boundaries because <laughs> boundaries, I mean, it's an action. It's a mm-hmm. verb, right? Like you have to action your boundaries. They don't just, you don't just like say it and, and then expect it's going to happen. It's like, you've got to be really be intentional about it yeah. and moving your body and being in creativity. And I think so, so important. We live in a world where we're just taught to push our emotions down and not deal with them. And this is very emotional work. So you got to create space for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of my listeners are business owners, entrepreneurs, so solopreneurs and they struggle with the hustle culture. And so, and that's another reason we don't have time to do this work because we're all hustling, hustling for approval, hustling for success. And we barely have time to deal with our own emotions, never mind somebody else's. And so it's so, so important. The more we slow down, we don't have to be hustling to be successful. And when we slow down and allow ourselves to slow down to the speed of life, there's space for us there's space for our success and there's space for us to be really contributing to the greater good for everyone. So and thank you for that teaching for me because that's what I'm taking away from, from what you shared about how you take care of yourself. Yeah. And just be aware of comparison, like lift and love, celebrate what other women are doing in your life, but also like it's don't compare because you can't because there's so many things that are invisible that you can't see, right? So just... Be present to you, you know, in the work that you're doing. 
we're all just at different places on the journey. Yeah. So I think it's good. It's yeah. good. Okay. How can people get in touch with you if they want to have a chat with you or hire you? Mm. Yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram are my uh, social media feeds. So Jen um, Newstead yeah. at yeah. LinkedIn yeah. and Instagram. Just Google me. <laughs> Google her. <laughs> the Google. Use the Google. Yeah. And you will find a crazy, crazy resource. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So my rapid fire questions almost seem trivial. Mm. But after this really <laughs> powerful conversation, and I still gonna ask them. I love it. Okay. okay. So first one, Star Trek or Star Wars? Yes, Star Wars. Okay. I still like you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> favorite place to visit? Qualicum Beach. Mm. Zodiac sign? Leo. I knew there was a reason I loved you. <laughs> Scariest thing I ever you ever did. I think you do it every day. Yeah, getting vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you do. Non-negotiable self-care ritual. Fresh air and movement. Yep. Daily. Book you were most inspired by. Like if you were to go to Mars and you were tasked with like bringing one book for the library. You know, there's a really beautiful book called The Library Book. No, the library. I <laughs> I don't know what the title of it is. It's red. Um, and it's about the history of libraries. And it's phenomenal because when you read it, you realize that libraries are all about community. Mm. And also you'll be interested to see who are the leaders of the libraries. And that's just where yeah. I'll leave it. <laughs> Same people who are writing the history. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Uh, if you were a city, who would you be? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I love the ocean, so I would probably be in Ocean City. Oh, Atlantis. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the lost city of Atlantis. <laughs> what would you call your life? If you were to name it, like I have a stellar life project. That was really, really all about me before it became a coaching business. Um, what would you call your life if you're going to call it a project? It's worth it. Mm. Yeah. And finally, success leaves clues. And I would say that the reason I invited you here was because you give me a different vision of success. And success for me means a completion of something. Not that we're all, we're never complete. That's dead person's goal. However, you're on this path further down it than most people I've met. And what clue would you want to leave for somebody who's traveling behind you? Be willing to trust in yourself. Be willing to make change and be willing to take that risk regardless of whatever it might make you feel, but give it a try. Mm -hmm. Take a step. If you falter, get back up, take another step. True, no matter what your work in the world is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen, for this conversation. It's been a long time coming. We had some tech difficulties last time we tried <laughs> to do it. So it's just been... Uh, just as good as I thought, better than I thought it was going to be. It's just, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world, that you're willing to show up and that you're willing to come here and, and share this with our audience so that they could uh, get a glimpse in what's possible in terms of the work they can do for themselves and the world, but also how you can create a business and a career for yourself based on the things that really matter to you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciated spending time with you today. See you again soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and follow us wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. I'm your host, Deborah Stellingworth. See you next week on the Stellar Life Project podcast.